everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Nehra. So the topic for today's discussion is the dawn of Dharmatva. This is a essay Harsh wrote recently on his Substack. And we're going to be talking about that today with Harsh. Harsh, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Hi, Kushal. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Harsh. So first things first, let's start by some definitional clarification. So when you use the word Dharmatva, what exactly do you mean or you imply? So, Kushal, uh, I use the word dharmatva, the term dharmatva, um, as its literal translation, dharmaness, right? The, the core tattva of dharma. So what I mean by that is there is kind of capital D dharma. And of course, there are many small D dharmas. Like there are thousands of small mm-hmm. D dharmas. So what I mean by that is I'm not trying to go into the nitty-gritty of what various dharmas are, but what is, in a way, the lowest common denominator, what is the common uh, attribute across all these dharmas, and Mm -hmm. especially what is the boundary definition, boundary uh, condition, what is the definition, and that is what I'm trying to reach, because um, the content will vary from person to person, but what is it that connects all these people who I think are Mm -hmm. following the dharmic framework? And those are basically one, there is mutual respect that we are not just tolerating each other. There is some kind of golden rule of reciprocity, right? I mean, there is the idea of uh, broadly live and let live, of being non-violent so long as you are not being violent towards me, right? Things that Mm -hmm. you and I have discussed, uh, we've separately written about. Uh, So basically, and that, that, that's a very broad range because Dharma itself comes, right? One of the, one of the words which came before Dharma is the word right rta and the idea is what holds the cosmic order right what uh, what gives it support so what I, so we are instead of in the cosmic order so to speak or in the physical universe order what gives support to the social order of mankind um, what are the basics that do that and in my view that has to be mutual respect uh, because without that mutual respect all other forms of existence of existence becomes problematic. There is less peace. If there is less peace, there is less prosperity uh, and there is less brotherhood. And then that less brotherhood in turn goes back to less peace and less prosperity. So the idea is in unlike Abrahamic traditions, which uh, basically say that there is only one God or there is only one truth uh, as expressed in one book by one prophet um, or in some cases by the last prophet, um, and that is the unalterable truth for mankind. In, in, in Dharma, it's, the truth is polycentric in the sense that it's not relative. There is a truth, but the truth is not necessarily accessible fully and completely by any mortal human being. We can only try to get closer and closer to it, you know, like the Jain uh, concept of Anekantwad, that we are touching various different parts of the elephant and we're calling it different things. But that does not mean that the elephant does not exist. The elephant exists. And mm-hmm. if we touch the elephant enough, it sounds a bit strange, we can describe the elephant better and better. Um, and therefore, the more sadhana you do, the more you think about these things, the closer you get to the truth. And therefore, all truths are not equally valid or all perceived truths are not equally valid. So it's not moral relativism. There is a truth, but we do not claim to know that this is the only truth. And that's what and Rig Veda says that, you know, the, uh, that various wise people call the truth in different forms. They address it as different gods. 
that's the same thing as i mentioned in jainism that's the same thing in japan if you take a religious census in japan 70% mm. people are shinto 70% people are buddhist you know so that clearly adds up to more than 100% that's a very non abrahamic and in my view a dharmatva way of thinking it's the essence of dharma uh that you know i may not belong to any sampradaya i just might be genuinely um uh, syncretic about the way i practice my dharma for example a subset of dharma hinduism i define hinduism as the subset of dharma which has anything significant to do with the indian subcontinent right so mm-hmm. whether the people who practice that were influenced by the indian subcontinent or whether they are a diaspora of the indian communities uh, or of course if they are living in india itself uh, you know like jainism buddhism hinduism sikhism what we now call hinduism uh, but mm-hmm. dharma is much broader so in dharma i include all pagan and neo pagan movements uh, who of course may not call by themselves by the term dharma uh, yeah. and therefore i don't think the term is important but we need some overarching framework to understand ourselves and uh, mm-hmm. you know if some people are ready to use the framework of calling hindus pagans or heathens or kafirs um or idolaters you know then why not we can use our framework to understand mm-hmm. all uh, traditions which follow these basic rules of mutual respect reciprocity uh, no initiation of violence uh, for any kind of wrong purpose in our modern day framework that basically means that monopoly of violence is the the purview of accountable states so so mm-hmm. anybody who follows this framework and it is so broad that it by definition will also include uh, various kinds of atheists and agnostics secular humanists uh, people who may worship no god or people who may worship many gods like i would emphasize in this talk or people who might say that you know there are various gods are the version of one underlying god which is kind of monism or henotheism and therefore in this talk uh, with you in this discussion with you i'm using monotheism in a stricter narrower uh, fashion uh, which basically says that this is the only truth this is the only god um, mm-hmm. so you know some people say that oh hinduism is also monotheistic uh, i think by that they mean something like henotheism or monism right i mean like if you like we can say that all these are sagun brahman versions of gods behind that is there is nirgun nirgun brahman um you know mm-hmm. beyond that is like the one brahman so you know you can you can you can see shades of what some people might loosely but i think inaccurately call monotheism and hinduism as well but i would rather call it monism or i would rather call it henotheism um even monism is problematic because we have a very rich tradition of dualism or qualified dualism uh, these six astic darshan darshanas we have in hinduism right so so mm-hmm. the the dharmatva is the essence of dharma and dharma i see as all uh, social relations all theological ideas defined by mutual respect reciprocity and you know non initiation of illegitimate violence let's put it that way right i mean so any any kind of world view that falls within this purview obviously will have to respect each other i mean their their nose will stop at somebody else's business right they will they will be much more concerned about their own salvation than trying to go to somebody else and saying that listen i think you are going to hell or you are going to be damned for eternity because you are not following xyz and i think that that anybody who does not do that um and follows these basic the bare minimum is dharmatva and the reason i use the word dharmatva as opposed to dharma because obviously dharma has a much richer tradition and people have all kinds of uh, attributions to that and they'll think of hindu dharma or bodh dharma or jain dharma 
and they'll think of dharma shastras and dharma sutras and they'll say well you know when you, if you think of dharmatva you whether you believe in an whether you believe in an afterlife or not whether you believe in rebirth or not uh, whether you're a vegetarian or a non-vegetarian uh, mm-hmm. whether you believe in idol worship or you don't believe in idol worship mm-hmm. all of this gets covered uh, so basically it does not say that all these internal debates or discussions are not important but it is trying to uh, say that there is because the abrahamic monotheisms clearly create a distinction of us and them and the defining feature of of the people who i call within the dharmatva framework basically everybody else is that they do not have that collective consciousness of this is us and i would not say versus them but this is how we are separate from them and i think that so that I- to 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 basically create that sense of self consciousness on a global basis obviously dharmatva is uh, you know in a way 100 years after the word hindutva although of course it was used before savarkar as well uh, mm-hmm. but hindutva is in a way how do you think of organizing hindudam or mm-hmm. within the indian nation state framework and mm-hmm. the broader point i'm trying to make here is okay well clearly there is some political ascendancy of a particular world view within india and mm-hmm. it's like okay now that we have caught the car what do we do what is what is this indian state and other states this is not on, this this is something i call a universalistic pluralism that is the only universalism that i can think of although you can call it other names which is plural, pluralist in nature because any universalism which is not pluralist in nature is imperialist in nature so so why is this pluralistic in nature because i am not going to go to a german guy and say you have to worship ram i am not going to go to a turkish guy and say you have to worship uh you know durga mata i'm 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 going to them and saying you know have you thought about worshiping your own ancient gods uh maybe you don't have to worship anybody have you thought about your own ancient philosophies which predated um abrahamic monotheisms and because these things overlap and which we'll discuss now when we go through the sections of the of the of the essay that i wrote uh that they are intrinsically pluralist because they will not they will not stop a german from being a german or a turk from being a turk um mm. and they will not try to convert everybody to one god's image and therefore it's a it's a pluralistic universalism but it is a universalism uh, which if you want to call hindutva as the essence of hinduism in that indian subcontinental sense is not mm. and i th- i think uh, it's not just enough to rebut somebody else's homogenizing universalism i think we should present our own non homogenizing universalism as as a as a as a humane alternative which uh, is much more amenable to peace and prosperity for everybody that was the broad idea animating this this essay and i must say i'm in the very early parts of uh, writing thinking ideating on this uh, which is why this was the first essay on this subject you know as you were explaining i i got reminded of another very interesting term that i had read when i read rajiv malhotra's first book being different where another thing that he he explained very beautifully in his book was i think the difference anxiety factor that you know there is a difference anxiety that is uh, by default uh, nature of a christianity and islam bowl i don't think so difference anxiety any longer no longer any you know exists in judaism i believe they have come over their uh, different anxiety uh, through years and years of cultural uh, ex- you know experimentation uh, till the extent that they've come to a point where they just you know 
maybe isolationist in a very it's, weird it's, way but it's, it's there in it's there in orthodox jews but you're right not in the broader community yeah so so the broader jury i don't think so suffers from different anxiety so i think the, so what you're basically trying to say is that now it's very interesting even in your essay when you started your essay you 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 know you you use this very interesting line obviously you you start with pax romana where you know you do talk about that you know uh you say the the gods were absorbed and worshiped no matter who won now this again uh, to use rajiv ji's words is basically that's the thing that uh, did the pagans fight with each other yes were they killing each other yes but there was something about the the political and the spiritual that while it overlapped it was not a you know a cancelable offense for them in their world view they would not cancel each other over this while uh, in the case of monotheisms the yes the spiritual and the political overlap every day every second of our life whether we like to admit or not and um, we'll come to the other bits of your essay where you talk about secularism and many other things later on but let, let's start again with this so so you use this line where you know they would fight with each other but they still you know would absorb each other's deities and the classic example you just gave is where you know almost the same number of japanese people call themselves buddhist and shinto which is basically to any mind that is raised in an exclusivist framework would be so alien so when you are talking about again now let me connect this to your universalist pluralism now how is your universalism then going to function because there is a universalism in the world today there is a, a very top down abrahamic universalism that is exclusivist in nature then how do you become pluralistic and universalist at the same time harsh would be a natural question that somebody might ask you yeah i think that's a good question that's exactly what i try to you know express in this essay including in this example of pax romana the reason i use you know this uh, this phrase of pax burum which is less known everybody has heard of pax romana right and then of course uh, the britishers copied it with pax britannica the americans copied it with pax americana right the idea was the peace of the roman empire the peace of the british empire the peace of the american empire but what a lot of people do not know is that pax romana was very much dependent on pax burum the idea was that the peace of the gods is what made the roman imperial peace possible right that that the people would not fight in the name of gods is what uh, made the empire feasible so your question about universalism that's you know there is something known as interpretatio graeca that i wrote in this essay interpretatio romana the idea was it's in a very loose sense it's not exactly equivalent but if you would you know uh, like athena in the, for the greeks might be equated to maybe minerva for the romans or vice versa right so you, know, you would find some female goddess of wisdom or the greeks and then you would say well actually that kind of uh equates to this goddess of a similar purpose that we've been worshiping and then you start worshiping both or you kind of mix them uh you kind of mix their attributes for example i mean this is very well known in india right we have so many different forms of shakti uh within shakti even even within durga we have very very different forms i just recently uh went to a mandir in 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 calcutta of uh, of kalima which was of a very specific form of kalima uh, so so we had we have very 
different gods and goddesses equated different gods and goddesses and that created a universalism because what happened is you had your own pantheon uh, i have my own pantheon let's say i'm a greek guy you are a roman you have your own pantheon and our pantheons kind of overlap on the fringes on the edges they overlap so what happens is it becomes easier for literally people on the fringes geographical fringes or people who are traveling from point a to point b or empire a to empire b i mean it's slightly anachronistic although the greeks continue to exist in the roman empire as well it they would not find themselves to be in a completely culturally alien universe the gods and goddesses the traditions and the rituals might be different but their way of thinking about the world would be similar they could map uh, a particular god for example if you go from uh, you know mumbai where uh, and to chennai you might find a different emphasis in the way ganesh is worshiped right but for mm-hmm. you for you you understand that okay we are worshiping this deity uh, there might be a different avatar for example there are so many avatars of vishnu uh, but you would say okay i understand that this this is somewhat analogous this is not the same they are different gods mm-hmm. but they are equivalent without being equal so what 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 i proposed with this universalism is especially in the today's age when we bring back these gods what i am proposing is do not uh, focus exclusively on national gods and we'll have i mean this is this is a digression but it's important now that you brought up the universalism in this context itself mm-hmm. what happened is in when you know when in a very clumsy manner europeans having given up christianity at least the elite europeans uh, elite layers mm-hmm. and classes and now it's percolating down if you look at the latest pew surveys even in the united states the western of shoot most religious the millennials there in the latest pew survey 2018 19 number is 49% people are religious for uh, yeah. are christian of some kind 40% do not have any religion 10% or 9% are uh, non christian religion followers so already it's mm. christian plurality not majority in the united states of america european countries at least western european countries are even further down the dechristianization path and it's been happening slowly for centuries it's now gathering steam and they started very small right now neo pagan movements let's say only 2% people follow them in the order of the druids in 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 the british isles and heathenry in germany and rodnovery in slavic eastern europe and and so on and so forth and what happened during the era of nationalism ethno linguistic nationalism is one of the ways they thought of themselves was let's bring back our ancient gods for example lithuania or latvia or, or germany and this is the lithuanian god this is who we are this is who we worship or lithuanian gods but we will not worship non lithuanian gods and uh, of course nobody else will bother worshiping lithuanian gods in any case right so so the impulse remained abrahamic in that sense so what i'm proposing is start the merging of the gods on the fringes so then that becomes universalism because then what happens is if you go from the core to the periphery of your culture or country and then to another one it does not seem disjointed uh, which is why i use the example of smarta smarta is obviously smarta relates to shrota brahmans smarta brahmans traditions smriti and shruti but what i talk about smarta in this case is the panchayatan puja right the panchayatan puja is a deliberate way of reducing sectarianism and hinduism where mm-hmm. you have five deities but you can choose one deity to kind of put in the center and emphasize and prioritize so the other deities mm-hmm. are true they're not false but they're less important for you it's like your ishta devta is in the center 
even if it may or may not be a kul devta or a gram devta and often sometimes it's six sometimes it's five uh, traditionally it's been ganesh shiva vishnu shakti some uh, form of shakti and uh, you know surya which beautifully maps to like humans both male and female animals other forms of living beings and nature right so it's such a beautiful symbolic kind of puja and what i'm saying is use that concept but in europe africa the americas middle east as well where four out of your five gods in a particular european or middle eastern country when they start worshiping their ancient gods again might be their own gods but the fifth god or the sixth god could be of a neighboring country uh, could be from india could be from japan and it need mm -hmm. not be the central god so what you do by that and that will automatically happen through immigration through you know small m multiculturalism that's it's already the populations are getting mixed so it's not something you'll have to kind of force top down that will anyways beat the purpose so the, the universal universalistic pluralism is why don't hindus in america who are living there and have their own mandirs and of course they're worshiping uh, krishna or ram or durga first and foremost but you know you have these minor deities in the corners of the temples you have these smaller temples within a temple why mm -hmm. can't some hindus i'm not saying all worship a native american god there why can't some of them worship a germanic god there uh, you know those who who've been kind of what is known as polytheistic reconstruction those who have been revived there is some bit of a tradition and then you know others might do that in the coming decades so 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 what happens there is there is a universalism we understand we are part of one human community though rationally divided into nation states for good reasons um but it is not like our gods are fully enclosed into one national boundary uh, so so that's how the tax theorem uh, that's how the smarta form of puja that's how interpretatio graeca interpretatio romana for example this is how they all meet with universalism where where you base and this is important because a lot of neo nazis both before the second world war and after the second world war it must be said did have some pagan inspiration right i mean i think overall the nazi uh, crimes were very much christian in nature the the national socialists they very much had the national church Uh, they built on a long tradition of anti-Semitic violence in Christian Europe and Christendom, um, and bit of this kind of passing the blame on neo-paganism is is a bit of uh, passing the buck, right? And then connecting mm -hmm. into Hinduism, which was then colonized, <laughs> is really tragicomic. But nonetheless, there is, it is true that some far-right movements in Europe have been linked to neo-paganism, although now most of them expressly disconnect themselves from any kind of racism. and it is and and the reason why that is even theoretically possible was it was there was a very deep emphasis on just national gods and my point there is you have a 90% focus on national gods but maybe you can have 10% neighboring country gods and that that basically removes the entire exclusivity because if you are worshiping multiple gods but it's exclusive to only one set of people and other people are still bad other people are still wrong or false or damnable in a different manner then whether you believe in one god or multiple gods uh does not change much i'm not saying it does not change yeah. anything but it does not change much so so there was one strain of thought there were people like savitri devi a european lady who came to india then went back mm -hmm. and wrote books in praise of hitler right and and so so there, there were there 
in, in this entire movement which is coming back which is bringing back traditions lost for almost 2000 years there are many wise people and there are many weirdo people as well and mm. and so so to it, it will take some time and a lot of humility on all our part uh for this to kind of become more substantive this are as which is why the essay is called the dawn of dharmatva it's not called the peak of dharmatva or the noon of dharmatva this is very very this 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 concept that i'm writing is very much decades in the making in the future it's not something that is here right now but because as you know separately i am very bullish on india's economic growth i mean general bullish on humanity's economic growth and economic mm-hmm. growth in turn brings social changes and i you yeah. know like in 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 12 years 12 to 13 percentage points of americans no longer identify as christians uh so the change is rapid it's it's subterranean but it's rapid and so we have to be ready about what do we do with our a new found material power in the 2030s and 2040s like what because what what is it that we want to express or change what is our world view in our foreign policy like when you say national interest that's fine but national interest is, is slightly tautological right it, it begs the question what is national interest so so, yeah. so i'm trying to just kind of lay the groundwork for how to think uh now if we do end up having some kind of hindu rashtra dharmic rashtra however we define it and we grow more and more economically powerful what is the world view that we need to think about yeah but isn't it interesting that the only country in the world where jesus was also kind of uh, taken into the pantheon of gods till now <laughs> is the hindus like in the ramakrishna mission you know there is they celebrate right jesus too and uh, i think it's only in india that this is done I, i don't know of any other culture in the world that actually celebrates jesus the way india has uh, and then uh, this is this is actually a proof of uh, your argument in a in a way where uh, you know this is a culture that but i don't know if that's going to happen in cultures outside india like like you you know it just took me to the example because you mentioned that what if indians outside india started you know praying and worshiping native american or native kenya you know whatever you know the, the african uh, gods the first people uh, or african gods or the first people so what if they also did that with jesus christ in the united states of america right so actually there are ash- there are ashrams in the uk which some indian sadhus are running uh, where they already do that uh, you know like mm-hmm. it's uh, where they worship uh, krishna along with jesus um, now the question is jesus is a bit of a boundary case right because if yeah. you kind of if you kind of uh, think of his life well i mean he was a historical figure let's assume for a moment then what do we know about his life based on what you know about his life based on what you assume about his life you can definitely worship him but then what if you what if you think that he actually had an exclusivist message and that was it was not let's say a later addition then it's difficult to kind of worship him within that context of mutual respect so uh, some people can say well maybe you know tactically you can do that i have no strong opinion on that but as a matter of fact uh it is very much true for the dharmatva kind of mindset to add just one more god n plus 1 um and at least in the case of christianity because at least more on the catholic side but to some extent on the protestant side as well you know christian imagery is okay um of course in the case of islam uh, there is the imagery of muhammad uh, itself 
is is a bit problematic and of course islam never claimed muhammad to be a god uh within within christianity of course there is the whole debate on trinity versus unitarian interpretations and whether uh, jesus was god or also son of god or just a prophet and, you know so at least there is some kind of uh, there is scope for him to be apotheo apotheosized right just made a god amongst many gods um and i think i think some i think i think some indian gurus do take that uh, view i again don't have a very strong view on that i tend to be culturally confident in the sense that uh, if you do that some people say well we we will get absorbed hinduism will get absorbed and mm -hmm. and my general view is i think the reverse is more likely to happen um because if you're already worshiping multiple gods uh, you know that itself uh, changes the entire definition the the entire reason for any orthodox interpretation of christianity to exist but but i again i don't have any strong opinion of that i that's not what i had in mind when i wrote the essay uh, but i'm 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 okay if some people do that right i mean if because if you are genuinely worshiping other gods then in your mind at least jesus was not an exclusivist figure no matter whatever the historical reality might be so it's 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 an interesting question it's kind of a bit of a boundary case uh, as of now i don't have a very strong opinion on it yeah see see what happens is at times you know uh it's a classic case of what does a text say of that particular text, yeah. god and and what does a human being make out of it right i mean i i i i'll give you an example like the recent pupils i was just laughing at the amount of people from the muslim and the christian community that believe in reincarnation literally literal reincarnation you mean, you mean, of you mean indian muslims and christians right indian muslims and yeah yeah indian muslims and yes. christians believing in reincarnation now yes. uh, a person who would try to rationalize their point of view would be like these are just two contradicting world views but uh, when i was looking at it that also actually in a very weird way of what you're calling pluralism or universalist pluralism that i think is a subset of the universalist pluralism where no, no, I, around 30% of indians a, have these kinds of conflicting views no what you notice here is something very important which is why we try to distinguish between ideas and individuals right i mean the yeah. idea obviously is that any any orthodox mainstream public interpretation um of islam and christianity is not going to believe in rebirth the way indic or dharmic traditions often tend to do right uh but individuals are different and the, the the reason why this is very important if you take it to the next to another point uh if you think about the barelvi uh kind of sect of hanafi sunni islam in india if you mm -hmm. think about um, catholicism right protestantism was a bit different uh, mm -hmm. you have this you have these traditions of saint worship in the catholic tradition and you have this this these these various mazhars being worshiped right all these when you go and put a chadar in in the subcontinental hanafi barelvi tradition so that what what happens is of course there is a god or an allah in in a pure sense in the in the in the mind of the person who is following the catholic or the islamic tradition in india but on a, on a day to day lived reality they their their faith was very polycentric they were actually going and praying to a saint or something like uh, you know khwaja nizamuddin etc and of course i'm not saying that the saints themselves were pluralistic they might not have been like a lot of sufi uh, islam in india um, 
was very much in terms of sharia was very much orthodox um yeah. so 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 you know the naqshbandi sufis aurangzeb actually technically was a sufi was a naqshbandi yeah. sufi uh, so uh, you know shah waliullah and all these were sufis but i'm saying from the point of view of a lot of people because remember historically in places like punjab a lot of hindus used to go to these mazars um even as far as uh, karnataka i know of very uh, of of regions and villages for hindus of course it is normal it is just another sacred site uh, just another sacred place or person or personage to worship or to give your respect to but for a lot of muslims also many of them who were of course convert the vast vast majority of whom were converts it kind of exist it kind of went along with not just their their ancestors view but i think a broader human view that it is much more easier for most people to focus on an idol or a saint or a mazhar as opposed to an abstract god right which is technically not supposed to have any human form although we imagine them to be like sky male gods but theoretically they're not supposed to have any form any we anthropomorphize them but they're not supposed to be that so i so this this shows that and and what happened is after catholicism you had protestantism in europe and in the 19th century you had deobandi hanafi uh, sunni islam in india and both of them led to so much violence precisely because uh, they took away these these traditions of even within an abrahamic framework even within the meta framework being intolerant to outsiders to heathens to kafirs internally the framework became de facto polycentric right and once you once you took away that sense of solace from the common person who was in his or her mind a very much a practicing christian or muslim uh, and you suddenly said that well no 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 there is no idolatry no this is all shirk um for which is what diobandis do to barelvis and then now of course uh, the al hadis in in the subcontinent has done that in turn to the diobandis and therefore yeah. until recently the saudi funding used to go to diobandis and it started going to al hadis and now they don't have much funding left because of the oil crash so we thank the gods for that uh but so so we have to understand that uh it's not a hindu thing only when you mentioned about this adding one more jesus god uh it is the default human state and you need a lot of mental tooling and retooling and to some extent propaganda to come mm. to an understanding um that i will only worship one abstract god uh i think i think again i'm not delegitimizing anybody's faith any individual's faith is let me put it this way i of course have a disagreement at the theoretical level at the abstract intellectual level but you know if it any kind of interpretation it gives some sucker to some grandmother you know whose uh, family is suffering for whatever reason i'm not trying to comment or delegitimize her understanding of the divine but i'm simply saying that it is the lived reality that even for the centuries when uh, islam and christianity were on the ascendant uh, they on the ground were perceived to be very much polycentric um, and in that sense ancient aspects of human nature were never fully uh steamrolled and when they did try to steamroll that led to a violent reaction and ironically in the case of christianity uh this rea- reaction against christianity led to aspects of what we call modernity today 
Okay, so before we get into the aspects of modernity, I want to talk about a very specific comment you talk about, and I want to take it into a larger context here because somebody has also asked a question. I want to incorporate it in this itself. So you know, you say it is then India's destiny to be a Vishwa Guru world teacher this century, but for that she must first be a Vishwa Shishya world student. And somebody, while we were talking about you know plurality and including people, so somebody also said, how does one place China, which is a major atheist nation, in this equation? So so let me mix it all a little bit together. So when we say, when you are saying that we have to be a Vishwa Shishya. What exactly are you saying? So uh, a shishya that learns on what terms actually, right? So so right. even when you learn sometimes, like uh, in the case of India, so I think I think the case of some faiths putting Jesus's photo like the Ramakrishna mission is I think them trying to be a shishya where they are trying to imbibe something for the other. But there is always that danger, right? When you try to learn something from an exclusivist faith, I mean, even famously, Swami Vivekananda said, you know, we need an Islamic body and a Hindu essence and mind. Swami Vivekananda is known for that. But the thing is that how does one draw that line is very important, right? And and when we talk about being a Vishwa Shishya, it is, it is imperative in my view in a, a ascending civilization. I think the right word is ascending and descending civilization, where I believe now the world, as we call it, the Western civilization is now a descending phase. And what we are in is in a reascending or an ascending phase. So, what can we learn then? So, I, well, I, as usual, a very good question, but it's actually more like four or five questions. So, let me. <laughs> I think, see, the reason what I mean by Vishwa Shishya is that um, somewhere our, you know, like, you know, there's a very interesting book that I think Alan Bloom wrote called The Closing of the American Mind in the 1980s. Right. I mean, somebody like Al-Biruni kind of commented on that about the Hindus a thousand years ago. And, you know, of course, he was biased and we don't have to fully agree with everything he says. Um, and a lot of our internal turning on caste, on orthodoxy and, you know, not going outside on, uh, on for commerce on ships to foreign lands, even though we explored so many lands earlier, especially in Southeast Asia side. But we were conducting trade with the Middle East as well, the Roman Empire thousands of years ago. Uh, somewhere we became insular for whatever reason, right? Whether it was endogenous or it was endogenous and exogenous. By that I mean uh, foreign attacks and colonialism started creeping in, or and that and even even attacks becoming successful on you is in a way a reflection of your internal society and defense and economy and military getting weak, right? At some level or getting relatively behind others, um, although that happened to China as well. Uh, so, so the idea is, at some level, any civilization that, uh, you know, the, to, to quote Naipaul in his essay, Our Universal Civilization, gets too refined, gets too ritualized, gets in a way too beautiful and perfect, there's nothing to change, there's nothing to learn, therefore. And therefore, you basically end up saying that this is, this is it, this is perfection. And I think we kind of stopped. And when you, once you do that, you basically stop being a living civilization. Uh, because your ancestors did not think like that. They were changing things. They were writing things. They were making new things. They were accepting and rejecting. Uh, and while we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors, we are not in any way less than them. Uh, we are not going to say that because this is what our ancestors did, 
now this is it history has stopped this is the truth this is the only way to do things and i think once you start doing that there is no need to look outside and learn and so what i'm saying by vishwa shishya is if you want to really be a vishwa guru if you want to be a teacher to the world how can you be that without first understanding the world right i mean how if you do not have research in books and tomes and tomes of books like india should be the one who should be writing tomes and tomes of books on pre islamic and pre christian religions in africa africa is going to have 2 billion people in the century um north africa got islamicized over the centuries but actually sub saharan africa got christianized only in the last 150 years it's very much similar to parts of our northeast and imagine all those traditions are lost or getting lost in fact in our everyday language we use phrases like the voodoo ye to voodoo hai the voodoo economics hai this is voodoo concepts well voodoo was actually religion for yeah. some africans right i mean we we use phrases like philistines philistines mean people who have no culture but philistines was actually a polytheistic community that monotheistic jews did not like like so much mm. of our language actually pre- presupposes the heathens or the kafirs or the polytheists or the idol worshipers to be basically bad people and because we are all speaking in english to that extent we inherit those idioms and if we do not investigate them we end up propagating and justifying them so how do we so when i say vishwa guru like what what is happening with african religions just like there is creole languages many african native religions are actually mixing with christianity to answer your point about adding jesus as one of the gods there is a yeah. mix of voodoo and christianity right now if we step up and we document we as in not we africans document but we help we co-author we fund in the next few years next few decades then maybe that mix goes more towards voodoo than towards christianity as an example but if we mm-hmm. step back if we do not want to be universal but still in a heterogeneous manner not homogenizing manner well then what is there to complain about well those who want to rule the world in an intellectual spiritual fashion will end up ruling it i mean the first thing uh, to change the world is first wanting to change the world like so sure. what what i mean by that is we we are very happy being coop mundak right like like a coop mundak like like a basically a, a a frog in a in a well like we are happy being kings in a smaller and smaller empire the the uh, word so, you are use, looking for is intellectual isolationism yeah i mean it's the closing of the mind right i mean so and if if you if you look at sankhya mimamsa if you look at these you know where the epistemology in these the way they're saying these are the various forms of pramana there has to be empirical there has to be analogy there has this like they are they are not waiting they are not saying that you know our ancestors said this and this we are never going to do that but they of course they doff their hat to the vedas but yeah. this is as clinically logical writing as it can get yeah mm-hmm. they were not I burdened agree. by history i think the problem is we are burdened by you know what you call what many call this oh there was once a golden age and we have to live up to it or rather we have to go back to it right there's no going back mm-hmm. there's only going forward and i think so mm-hmm. so i think the first thing to do is we have to expect we have to have an expansive mindset uh without an imperialistic mindset that's the differentiation between us and these two other universalizing or ideologies um you mentioned china 
So, you know, and actually in China, last few decades, especially in the Xi Jinping, uh, in China, ancestral worship never got fully wiped out even during Mao's cultural revolution. Like China, China has many, many mandirs and temples. It has, it has a very strong tradition of ancestor worship. Uh, you know, the Chinese New Year, before that, after that, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on their culture and religious belief systems, but I've lived in Singapore and Hong Kong for some time, and I've seen you know, there are many beautiful temples there. Um, and uh, some of them, obviously, like in Japan, there is Shinto and Buddhist, and there is syncretic influence. Uh, similarly, in China, there's Confucianism, there is Taoism, or what is also known as Tao. And of course, there is a Buddhist influence. And along with Buddhas, many Indian gods went, which is why you mm-hmm. have a version of, Saras- a version of Saraswati, uh, Brahma, etc. in Japan as well. Uh, so so in, in China, of course, in the name of atheistic communism, all religion was made illegal for some time. But there's a big comeback of religion in China as we speak. And in fact, in many ways, um, Strangely, China is trying to become the Buddhist soft power. Uh, it, it may be very clumsy about it. Uh, it, of course, uh, did crack down on one version or interpretation of Buddhism, the Falun Gong sect, a few decades ago. And in fact, in the 19th century, even pre-communism, uh, the Chinese mm-hmm. cracked down on, on Christian, Muslim, and Buddhist-inspired revolts. Um, and uh, the Dugan revolt and so on and so forth. Tens of millions of people died. One of the less known facts of history. Uh, the, the 19th century was basically bloody because of what happened in China. Very few people know that. True. Um, so yeah. so I, think, I, think, I think in China, uh, the, it's not a communist government or an atheist government. It's a materialist government. Right? In, in China, the question is, like, you know, as, as Deng Xiaoping famously said, you know, I don't care what the color of the cat is, so long as it catches mice, right? I don't care whether it's yeah. black or white. Uh, yeah. So, so in China, and now of course they're trying to kind of revive. So they call themselves a civilizational state more and more often, right? So, so it's no longer about the theory of Marx and Lenin and Engels. It's so, so there is a there is a sense of returning to Chinese greatness, and along with that comes Chinese gods. Uh, but mm-hmm. the issue with, with with China is, of course, that you know um, they do not have, for example, I, I think no country in the world has thought so deeply about spirituality as India has. Like, I mean, this is not the Indian chauvinist in me speaking. I think this is just the fact that Indian subcontinent was the most populated area of humanity for the longest number of millennia, and uh, you know maybe because of our inherent strengths, also our large numbers, we never got fully conquered spiritually and we kept on reviving we kept on innovating you know the bhakti cults from south india became mainstream in medieval north india and so on and so forth uh, so so and we came up with these ideas like these smarta pujas that i talk about which kind of reduced sectarianism uh, because in as, as modernity was coming in china and japan you know there there was very strong reactions about how to is buddhism india uh, Indian or is it Chinese or Japanese? And if it's not Chinese or Japanese, should we crack down on it? Uh, a lot of these sectarian problems are already taken care of yes. in, 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 in India because of the very, very complex uh, theology and metaphysics that we kind, of, we kind of developed. So A, China does not have that. B, China is not a democracy. And therefore, there is a sense of, if, you, if you're in the eyes of the rest of the world, if you're not a legitimate government fully, um, if if even your uh, elite wants to uh, leave the country more than Indian elites want to, and India is a poorer country, 
so i i don't think the chinese are are trying to bring back polytheism or some form of polytheism uh, although it's very clear that they are suppressing islam and christianity whereas they are promoting buddhism so in in uh, you know for example obviously what's happening in xinjiang is very brutal and even there there is a massive crackdown on house churches or unofficial churches uh, throughout china and western estimates say well maybe there are 50 100 million christians already in china there's no way of knowing um and again you know like like china and japan you could in japan for example you you have a christian wedding and uh, you have a you know uh, kind of a shinto birth based ritual and a buddhist death based ritual uh, yes. like many uh, japanese weddings that we look very christian uh, so so in, in china just because some western estimates are there about 100 million christians the chinese christian may not exactly mean what those christians have in mind so i so i think i think china in that very long term sense is still a civilization ally but in a nation state short to mid term is very much a enemy and a foe uh, so china just being there is sheer weight and size is very much a benefit in the long term civilizational sense of uh well there is there is another massive one and a half or almost one and a half billion non abrahamic polity and civilization uh but do they really want to uh, think about how to change the world based on that uh, i think less so also because they have less pressures i think in india we have real demographic political pressures and debates about the role of christianity and especially islam in india right mm-hmm. and and uh, we have to discuss that in a humane manner and do whatever you have to do in a humane manner but of course putting that debate under the carpet also does not help that pressure Absolutely. is obviously not there in china and because that pressure is not there in china china may not have that response in india where india where indians finally end up saying at one day that we are sick and tired of defending now we want to expand so i think that's what's happening in india much more likely than china but of course if china joins this that's great there is there is no there is no harm you know like in in the case of the uk they used to have they say that there are three concentric circles that define uk's foreign policy one was their special relationship with america or the anglosphere or the white anglosphere the one was the european union or europe and one was the commonwealth the former colonies especially the non white colonies in india and africa right i think i think india's three concentric circles are demo, uh, development democracy and dharma right so so on democracy all of the west for all practical purposes is to that extent favorable to india in the case of dharma or more traditional understandings of dharma the west also but in, but mostly southeast asia japan south korea who are also democracies but especially japan and uh, parts of southeast asia and on development we can actually you know learn from the chinese uh, we we can learn from whoever is growing rich so i i, I don't where does china fit into it depends a lot on what the chinese decide to do in the next 10 20 years and frankly there the variables are much more uncertain than it is in india because their political system is going through a lot of change the indian political system is mature in china for the first time after many decades uh, the core leader might have more than two terms so so the, the, their their sense of collective leadership of some kind of institutionalization of leadership is changing and what what blowback there might be or may not be to that is unclear so but but on the whole the very fact that china exists is getting richer is in that long term civilizational sense 
if india gets richer and you know has a modest wendy with, with china on the border and etc may uh, may actually turn out to be surprisingly a benefit to this larger cause although personally on a foreign policy indian nationalist sense with that hat on i'm very 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 hawkish very very skeptical about china but we we cannot fully write off that long term potential civilizational cousin angle with with the huns uh, as of yet okay now there's one particular aspect in your essay that stood out to me where you with where you title it the vaccine is not the virus and obviously then then you connected later on to the forgotten fraternity now here's the thing now why why did you have to mention this in an essay where maybe in my view you're making a larger point about um indic civilizations but why 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 talk about the process of well, secularization I mean, in europe no i think it's important because i'm not trying to make a point about indic civilization i'm trying to make there is obviously an a real indian civilization i've written a book right a new idea of india individual rights in a civilizational state but there is also an incipient not quite there but an incipient universal civilization and I, this particular essay is more geared towards that understanding of the world and so and therefore it is important that if we are thinking about okay that world is there there are a lot of secular modern liberal democracies or however much there be hypocrisy around the word liberalism uh, and there is a lot of hypocrisies around the word liberalism the west gets to define which is why i am not very comfortable with the word secular or uh, liberal especially but nonetheless what i want to say is these modern nation states exist and it is important to understand that their framework of development is very much part of this broader sense in this kind of dharmatva sense of the basic common denominator of mutual respect of mm-hmm. non initiation of illegitimate violence at least domestically of the golden rule or reciprocity and so on and so forth right mm-hmm. now that may not be true in entirely for the historical trajectories of evolution but it is important to uh, mention that there they are not neo christian political entities because that is something that a lot of authors indian and foreign right i give the example of tom holland there uh, who's written the book dominion who basically says everything that's good in the world all the milk and honey is basically christian right he says if you yeah. if you like the if you like the poor if you're compassionate then you are a christian whether you know it or not and if you if mm. you if you believe in uh, any kind of justice then you're a christian if you believe in any kind of democracy he surprisingly says if you believe in lgbt rights you're a christian right so so he like really stretches but of course he says so basically in- tom holland is like that uncle in uh, goodness gracious me who says everything is indian <laughs> yeah basically yeah, but but not but hitler is not christian he makes a point to say like he's so basically he's saying so tom holland is a kind of christian who's given up his faith um if you read his other works and therefore wants just the warm after a glow of his historical civilization heritage to be the mm-hmm. progenitor of all good things right i also yeah. quote somebody else called eric samens right who actually has yeah, yeah. orthodox christian faith and he says well this modernity is really problematic for us christians he says uh, the reason why we are so indifferent to proselytization today as modern european uh, or american christians is because we are ourselves internalizing this idea that all different faiths can lead to salvation which is very much a dharmic a hindu and indic idea 
and which is why there was a famous newsweek article a few around 10 years ago saying why we are all hindu now uh, you know before these hindutva debates and all that got mainstream in america true uh, so eric sammons basically says now we basically internalized since the 1960s since the cultural wars which also coincided with the second vatican council which basically ended up adopting a lot of these ideas which it had consistently called as blasphemy or apostasy or heresy for centuries it basically ended up saying that well okay uh, you know if you are not exactly following christianity you might still get some kind of salvation they especially did that for jews but they slowly partially extended that to others one of the reasons they did for jews obviously was the aftermath and the guilt of the holocaust mm-hmm. um but you know there is there are christian theologians catholic theologians for example like karl rahner uh who who created this concept of anonymous christianity and his mm-hmm. his idea is if you're a good person you know it, see in a way he's a forerunner of tom holland although he was clearly an orthodox in his mind uh religious christian although theologically very heterodox but he was very much within the faith the system and and the pope and the the vatican ended up copying many of his propositions karl rahner basically said if you're a good human being um you might get god's grace you might get salvation yes you may never have heard of uh, the christian message so that's not your fault you should not be condemned to hell forever because of that reason you can also be saved forever right so what they're trying to do is they're trying to universalize christianity as much as possible without forcing jesus down people's throats which they tried mm-hmm. to do when they had power now they've lost power therefore they cannot do that but at the same time not removing jesus's name entirely right so it's, it's very interesting the question arises that oh, what if i have heard the christian gospel and if i reject it but i am a good man do i now get saved there is ambiguity on that so except and of course they cannot obviously say that if i have deliberately and knowingly rejected the christian message and i am still going to sal- i'm still getting salvation and still going to heaven well then there is nothing left of the christian message at all but if you this is a very important distinction but if you take out the distinction they're starting to sound a bit like krishna in bhagavad gita the krishna says you know people who worship other gods also are basically worshiping me uh but yeah. krishna does not say that if you never heard of me and you are a good person then only you are worshiping me no krishna is saying well so long as you are worshiping somebody with faith that's fine so so there is that that final exclusivism can never be taken out but they're trying as fast as possible both within the christian uh, the catholic and the protestant denominations to be as quote unquote universalist as possible so a lot of protestantism is actually a reformed protestantism you know there was the 1697 blasphemy act in the uk which said that if you deny the trinity you go to jail but by 1813 they said well no 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 it's fine if you are a unitarian and then we have today universalist unitarianism which basically say that you don't even have to be a christian but they keep the outside structure of a church they have a sunday mass where you discuss all religions not not christianity necessarily and in mm-hmm. this form of unitarian universalism actually ironically raja ram mohan roy kind of used their own weapons against the christian protestant ideologues in bengal in british bengal in the early 19th century which is why you know some people who have a superficial reading and understanding of events falsely call raja ram mohan roy to be a christian he was not a christian he kind of used unitarian universalism against christianity to defend 
um, the core of Vedic Hinduism. Um, and that's that's very interesting. That's very interesting because so what 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 the Christian side is trying to say is that well okay maybe all this idea of perennial philosophy of all religions uh, having some underlying core similar message is 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 also Christian whether you just nominally accept or not Jesus just don't reject Jesus please but we'll call you Christian right so that that that's that form of trying to absorbing the rest of the world whereas what I am proposing here is I'm saying is no, we don't have to do that, you know, of course, because most people will not, well, some people will be, but many people will not be satisfied with their abstract sense of a God uh, or a perennial philosophy. As I said, most humans want something tangible to see or worship, uh, even Catholics and the Barelvi Muslim example I gave you, they want to go to a mazhar, they want to go to a Catholic saints worship site. Mm. Uh, so why not revive the pre-Abrahamic gods? Uh, which anyways, many of them are themselves reviving. Why not India be behind the scenes as an intellectual support, uh, give them diplomatic support? For example, if some Native American tribe is forcibly converted to Christianity or is not getting enough uh, equal uh, support from the Brazilian government, as an example, then as India grows more powerful, it should, in a polite, diplomatic, friendly manner, raise that with the Brazilians. That why are your native people who want to follow indigenous faiths, why are they being de facto forced towards Christianity? That's an example of dharmatva in practice. That is something Japan can also do. Uh, mm -hmm. Japan, for example, has been telling us for ages, why don't we improve the infrastructure in Bihar and UP where you have such brilliant Buddhist sites? We, were, we want to come. We want to give you tourist dollars in yen. So India, Japan, and a particular understanding of uh, modernity, humanism, renaissance, enlightenment, be it in France, be it in the United States, is very much an ally. So you were asking, why am I saying the vaccine is not the virus? I'm trying to say mm. the French attitude, the American constitutional attitude, which was very different from the colonial Puritan American attitude where only Puritans could vote in Massachusetts in the 1600s or 17, early 1700s. Yes. The American constitution, the way it has evolved, although occasionally some Supreme Court justice tried to uh, prioritize monotheism or polytheism, but they never kind of got the majority in the US Supreme Court. These broad ideas of a separation of state and religion of free expression are ultimately in our favor. And therefore, it is important not to tar these ideas with a Christian brush when precisely their evolution was against Christianity. And the idea of vaccine is not the virus is you know, a vaccine often uses some form of the virus, right? To which it, a weaker diluted form of remnants of the virus, it puts in the body so that the body sees this weaker form of the virus, builds up immunity, so that when the actual virus comes in, uh, the body already has antibodies, right? That's the, I mean, you and I are not doctors, but that's the broad idea of a vaccine. So this is very similar to the way secular modernity developed in Europe. It expressly and explicitly was against Christianity. Now, of course, when Christianity lost, it tried to make a necessity a virtue, right? You have you <laughs> now the in, in the last few decades, the Catholic Church or, you know, Protestant inspired Acton Institute in the US. Now they say, well, if you don't have freedom, how can you choose to be a good Christian? Because now they've lost the power on the sovereign on the government. They are basically now saying, well, if you don't have free will, how do your choices matter in terms of you going to heaven or hell? 
so they took out an older kind of obscure argument and they are saying therefore we are in favor of liberalism secularism some kind of libertarianism because they've lost that battle over centuries it's very important it's, it's like it's like saying uh, you know if some if if remnants of caste orthodoxy have lost the battle in india today or are losing the battle in india today they say well we always wanted this indian constitution but that but that is not the reality if you read the apastamba dharma sutra if you read uh, a lot of these dharma sutras then that became the shastras or the smritis they very clearly mention that you know people of different caste are very very different they are not equal uh you know like uh, even if uh, you know who you marry who you do not marry the punishment varies on what is your caste not the caste of the woman and uh, <laughs> if you are a brahmin child uh, and a kshatriya child teaches you uh, that's fine in an emergency situation but then eventually the brahmin child has to get ahead so the, all these things whether we like it or not are there in some of our sutras and smritis and shastras we mm-hmm. our modern constitution has rejected it and therefore to make yeah. fun of equality liberty and fraternity as basically christian values when that's precisely the values they fought against is very very dangerous because the then the uh, well then the deliberate or non deliberate aim is to defend things that can no longer be defended in india so it's very important to say that when we say universalism it's not it, we might be doing more of the work on this idea but this is a human tendency to want to be pluralist and others have also come up with ideas and there is something very important and interesting you mentioned uh, swami vivekananda's quote about a hindu mind with an islamic body right mm. so so let's replace islamic body with christian body for a second and replace christian with post christian or anti christian but let's say western body the mm. in terms of theology mutual respect toleration more than toleration and individual spiritual freedom nobody is done better than india but in terms of political organization which in turn depends on social organization the mm. reality is that the post christian west nobody has done it better than the kind of uh, obvious examples of christianity in france over time when uh, sorry america and france over time i mean of course thomas jefferson famously had slaves so there were a lot of hypocrisies in the wasp elite in the us but the reason why that is important is what abrahamism really brought to the world some people say equality it was not equality it was organization it was organization yeah. over and above a very small empire or kingdom or a clique or a clan or a tribe because you said that it was all of us as you said fighting we are fighting for a god we are not just fighting for our duty or glory or our particular riches or empire you all of us are fighting because god is on our side and the mm-hmm. other people god hates and god wants us to defeat this is not how ancient romans and indians used to fight they would fight at the level of kingdoms so so because that that obviously is raw emotional appeal and that led to larger and larger abrahamic empires but because they became very large they had internal schisms like once germany was christianized but power remained in the south in the rome the germans decided to have a protestant revolution the persians were never happy with the arabs having islamified them so uh, you know around 1500 they said well let's become shias because let's become safavid dynasty right because because mm. you could retain your ancient national character but within that abrahamic framework and that is what the examples of germany and iran show 
so so basically what what the 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 real and sometimes positive contribution to humanity i mean gore vidal famously said that monotheism is the biggest disaster that has ever befallen the world but naipaul yeah, was not a, yes i mean naipaul who was not a big fan of monotheism either nonetheless said that maybe they had something to contribute to humanity and maybe now they've already contributed that and there is nothing left to contribute beyond that and i think what he meant by that or what at any rate i mean by that is this form of larger and larger organization so what happened is because they were expensive and they could organize larger and larger until they were befallen by internal schisms and those internal schisms created the modern nation state so if you look at the treaty of westphalia 1648 in europe it basically happened after the reformation and the counter reformation and you had all these protestant and catholic principalities fighting and killing each other around a third of northern central germany got killed either in war or consequent famine and disease so anybody mm-hmm. who says protestantism is equal to liberalism or christianity is modernity should have lived during those 200 300 years uh, when especially in protestant regions not in catholic regions thousands of women also men but thousands of women were burned as witches um uh, this is the this is the lived reality including in the american colonies in in plymouth and massachusetts and so on and so forth so basically these kind of universalistic imperialistic monotheisms did a positive contribution in the, in the sense is that they brought the value of organization and because nobody else was doing it somebody had to do it and then they did it and within that the nation state form came and once you have a nation state once you have a form of loyalty which is to the nation uh, you cannot then be a full member of an abrahamic community right you can be a nominal member for sure which is why somebody like iqbal understood that you know like in sare naye booton mein i'm not i don't remember his shayari verbatim but the point is in all these new gods and idols like the most dangerous is the nation state he understood that very clearly uh, the same thing by the way said shah ali gilani understood who recently passed away that i mean yeah. he always said we are not fighting for kashmir because of our region or our language or our ethnicity we are not fighting for pakistan we are joining pakistan for only one reason his interpretation of islam his speeches were very clear so the moment you have a nation state with beat france 100 years ago beat china today we and i'm pretty sure it will happen with india also in the next 10 15 years you will reach out to the the vatican and say well you know what you are a, both a country and a religion you do not get to appoint the entire hierarchy of the catholic church in my country you need to mm. pass it by me because there is now another center of power so uh, similarly uh, so what it, what the nation state does is because the loyalties are towards another state there is, there is the an organization is happening through the nation state the the main contribution of the abrahamic idea which is larger and larger more efficient organization of more and more humans basically becomes redundant and and the next step of the nation state the nation state was born with theory of westphalia 1648 the next step the final step uh, because all of humanity should not be or will not be ruled by one empire because that can create tyranny the final step is mm. the civilizational state so we are we are basically kind of living in uh, in treaty of westphalia round 2 right now uh yeah. 300 400 years later 
where in the European continent you had 20, 30, 15, or let's say five or seven important nation states and 15, 20 smaller ones, you are now are seeing civilizational states, which is why European Union itself is becoming coherent and basically becoming one civilization state. Now that the UK is out and America is seen as an unreliable ally, and how to compete with Russia, China, and India, the European Union itself is becoming a nation state. That's the best example of theory of Westphalia phase two. That the European Union, which was basically internally formed by theory of Westphalia part one, that is France speaking French, Germany speaking Germans, they're all becoming a European civilizational state, which is kind of a post-Christendom. Which is which is in competition with Russia, which tries to be the third Rome and the defender of Orthodox Christianity or Eastern Christianity. There is China, there is uh, India. There are very very incipient attempts to kind of organize Latin America and Africa into one, but that's difficult. In Latin America, there are two languages. In Africa, there are clearly two religions. There is ASEAN. Uh, so so the, we are basically seeing the early, and of course America is very large and powerful. And de facto is in alliance with Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. Uh, so we are we are seeing uh, kind of civilizational state Westphalian order now. And again, in this, you don't need uh, an Abrahamic religion uh, for organization. So so the the real power of uh, the contribution of Abrahamism was on organization. Uh, the last, you know. The classic example of that is the Mongols conquered large part of Eurasia, but their various branches, wherever they went, they kind of ended up adopting the local cultures, right? Because they did not have a fixed nation state, the Mongols in the Middle East became Islamic. One branch of Turco-Mongols became the Mughals in India, but they became completely sinified mm. in China, right? The Great Khan became completely sinified in China. Uh, similarly, there were, we had some Mongols, white Mongols or Tatars in Europe who became Christianized, and in fact, there were some Jewish Central Asians as well for a small time. Uh, ironically, above the Caspian Sea, uh, a forgotten piece of history. So wherever they went, they basically took the local culture um, because there was no way to organize. Which is why all these pagan cultures, religions con uh, in Europe converted. What happened is they would fight. Um, and one, the Christian king would say, "I will actually stop fighting you if you simply convert to Christianity. I will not ask my mm. three Christian friends behind me." And from the pagan mindset, it, it was, "Well, I, he just—he's saying I just need to dip my head in the water, and he'll stop attacking, me. and I'll actually start getting some money." It's—it's it's ironically in India, uh, where there's a much deeper sense of dharma, much more refined, and it must be said. As much as I oppose the caste system today, that there was a contribution, in a very backhanded way, of the caste system in a defensive manner, in preventing conversions, because individuals were much less likely to convert if their entire group, clan, caste, jati, gotra did not convert, right? Because we were mm. in a in a in a, in a pre-modern feudal, agrarian, soci collectivist society, and therefore, uh, in that in that defensive sense. Uh, caste might have made sense, although the question begins: Why were we conquered in the first place? If there was, if we had, a, if we had a political order uh, along with a social order, that may never have happened. But once we were conquered, um, we were not, we were to that extent less converted. You can see, for example, that East Bengal was example more converted because it was less, you know, Brahmanical in nature, frankly, because it was more animist. Um, whereas, of course, on the on the West Punjab side. 
that was just converted by brute force just through attrition over centuries mm. but a, a large part of north india in the middle was not converted which was the hub of the various turko mongol empires in the afghan empires right delhi agra all of avadh patna these regions remain hindu majority um, and part of the reason is the hanafis said that you know you do not have to uh, convert the hindus like unlike other interpretations of sunni islam you said uh, hanafi said that the jazia is valid uh, on the hindus even uh, because we will consider them as a people of the book whereas mm. other forms of sunni islam did not consider hindus as a people of the book uh, so so it was easier for many muslim kings just to take taxes and there is literature they basically considered working indian hindus to be like cattle like animals so they did not see any point of beyond the point converting the poorest because they never foresaw a democratic future where numbers would matter in 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 yeah. in power and quality right because that that must have seen a completely crazy idea to them i don't know if you saw the very i don't know if you saw the terrible uh, game of thrones last season last episode i have not the, seen game of thrones okay, i have well, no idea you've probably saved uh, many days of your life uh, but uh, <laughs> in, in in the last uh, season last episode they all sit down you know in a circle and they say well okay now that we won the war how do we rule ourselves and then somebody kind of raises the hand and say we'll all vote and there is a pause for like 5 10 seconds and then everybody starts laughing uh, so so you know like so for whatever reason uh, very complex why europe converted and india did not fully convert or let's remember pakistan bangladesh afghanistan and even large parts of southeast asia um were very much indianized or hinduized which is why mm. the older name of southeast asia is indochina um so for whatever reason that did not happen but i think now that we are looking to expand uh these kind of structures social structures are actually a hindrance to expanding so your your strategy in defense and offense have to be different so now if you want to expand we have to be able to say that anybody can read the vedas or any hindu scriptures any dharmic scriptures anybody can come with proper education and training become a priest uh, at least in a public hindu temple maybe not in a private hindu temple anybody can uh, join any sampraday or pant or not join any particular sampraday and anybody can be as hindu as you and me and in a broader sense as dharmic as you and me so we have to have we have to go from a parochial tribalist mindset to universalist mindset because again if you look at the numbers as as people get richer they and and we are talking about going to mars you know the most people are not interested in conversations that you are having beyond the point people are very interested yeah. in what elon musk is doing right he's talking yeah. about going to mars and imagine with that kind of culture we are thinking about this is the only truth this is the only god because it was revealed 2000 or 1500 years ago uh, i don't think that idea has a lot of salience 1500 years from now that does not mean the transition cannot be brutal or violent or anything is guaranteed to happen which is why we are discussing yes. what we are discussing but if we do realize that we understand that the global trends are tailwinds they're not headwinds and we'll accordingly yeah. turn expansionist and not defensive so i'll just pause there i think we okay, have spoken for a long take, time let's take a few questions i think yeah i'll i'll give you a couple of questions now so someone has asked uh yeah do you think because people in developed countries have risen so much in maslow's pyramid 
that we can win this battle just on the basis of our ideas because we are against two organized, institutionalized faith. I think it's in context of the universalism you propose. No, I, I fully agree with what he's saying. In a way, he or she has paraphrased what I just said, right? Because when people get richer, they get more educated, they have more free time, they are they, they, they're intellectually more contemplative. Um, yes, so when they rise the Maslow's Pyramid, I think our form... Uh, of approaching the world, our worldview, our spiritual matrix, our dharmatva is much mm -hmm. more likely to be appealing to people. It's, it's already happening, right? I mean, it's not just about having a Buddhist statue or doing yoga. Like people are already, uh, you know, like, I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the entire modern Western nations, they basically saw themselves as a new Rome and new Greece. Like Abraham mm -hmm. Lincoln's statue in DC is basically like a Greco-Roman god. Like, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the DC architecture is very much like the Greek, uh, like Greek temples, like pantheons with those beautiful Doric and Ionic pillars. Um, all the planets are named after Greek gods. All the days, many mm -hmm. of the months are named after Greek gods. You know, if this was a civilization on the ascendant, which was basically Christian, 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 uh, they could have named it after Christian saints. You know, when they went to the, when they, when they went to go to space, they have uh, they have weapons named after Poseidon, the Greek uh, god of the sea. Uh, the Roman equivalent is Neptune, uh, which is also a planet. So you know, just like we name our weapons and our uh, our spacefaring instruments on Indian gods or Indian nature uh, forms, energy, for example, Agni or um, you know Aryabhat, obviously is a name of name named after a person. We can see the entire Western civilization has basically gone to Greco-Roman inspiration for whenever it has done something uh, larger than life, as opposed to Judeo-Christian. Uh, so it, it, it is very telling because the, the American founding fathers were also very deist because they were very rich. The deist was basically their word of equivalent to agnostic. Deist was, you know, we believe in a creator God, but we don't believe that he was a micromanaging basically what is known as the, the the watchman clock version of God, where, you know, the rules of the game are set, but he's not trying to control your and my life. So I, I, whether it goes to full-blown polytheism or not, uh, I'm not sure. I'm okay if it does not go with everybody. Um, but I do think that all of us struggle in our life with various tragedies, personal or otherwise. Some of us might still remain atheist through that. But I don't think there is any shame in being humbled by adversity and uh, i you know i personally am never have, have never been an atheist in a foxhole when somebody in my family is sick i am praying all the time um and maybe a lot of other people will also but they need a structure they need something that can replace their church they need some uh some god that they can worship and if you think about it uh, the new generation that's that's being brought up in the west I mean, the entire mm -hmm. Marvel set of movies is basically a new pantheon. They, these, they, I mean, of course, it's very difficult to think of them as gods the way we Hindus think of as gods. They're not seen as divine. They're not seen as something very serious or something to be, you know, very respectable or be like be quiet in front of. You can't think of uh, going and worshiping your hands in front of Scarlett Johansson character. But the idea remains that th that teenage Americans, uh, Westerners who are, as the numbers are showing, majority giving up on Christianity, which 
itself is not being commented upon it's like it's like after 2000 years suddenly a civilization is giving up on christianity and they are all going after uh, some kind of nordic gods or greco roman or germanic gods or they going back to middle eastern gods like in 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 the essay right like we have two paths in front of us do we choose isis or do we choose isis you know one isis mm. is the islamic state the other isis is this uh, egyptian roman goddess um of fertility and you know she was worshiped for thousands of years she wasn't worshiped for 10 or 20 or 100 years so thousands of years that means so many generations of humans uh found peace and solace in worshiping her um these are not indian gods you know they, nobody can say harshan kushal want to go and bring force white people and black people to worship ram no if yes uh, hari krishna iskon movement can go out and if people want to of course worship uh, ram and krishna and say hari krishna hari rama and worship and dance that's fine that's beautiful but they don't have to worship what we perceive as hindu gods it's fine yeah. if they worship their own gods which were lost uh, so i i fully agree that this is very much the right way to think about it people climbing the maslow's pyramid and then uh, finding this to be much more meaningful you know last point i'll mention is hl mencken uh, an author 100 years ago famously said that you cannot make sense of the universe as run by one god but you can very much make sense of the universe as run by a board of gods like a board of directors you know if you if you want to understand how there is evil in the world you can't obviously think of an omniscient omnipresent and a just compassionate god because obviously you know there are children with some kind of cancer and if the god is powerful and the god is just why is he allowing it uh one one way we hindus think about it is we think of karma and we think of reincarnation and we think of you know kuch purane janam ke paap hain that's one way of thinking about it and we can debate and argue in nuance there as well but the other way of thinking about it is well maybe there are many forces or quote unquote gods in this universe maybe all of them are benign some of them are not benign and even when they are benign there are cross purposes and sometimes they screw up um and therefore we worship them hoping they notice us hoping we are not the ones who are unlucky it is primitive in a form some people might say it is transactional in a form but i think the authenticity of that humility of how insignificant i am in front of the forces of nature or gods as you might want to call them i think that appeals a lot to me i think that is so much better than saying that there is a just compassionate all powerful god but look your neighbor who just got killed in a car accident you know that to okay, me that someone that is so then to uh, ask this follow up and this is the last question so somebody has actually asked this i think they've read your blog or substack okay. too they're saying why do we need to obsess with being a guru or shishya or the world's best friend why not focus on you know competing and expanding on other cultures i think that's isn't that what you are actually suggesting no, that's what i'm too? saying i mean that's exactly what i'm saying so maybe there's some misunderstanding of course i'll let me put i'm not saying we should obsess about this i think all of this happens concomitantly and to some extent after us becoming economically more prosperous right nobody is looking to quite frankly a bunch of poor people for life lessons you know it might be unfair there might be a lot of wisdom in poor people collectively for example as in india but you know people ask the question that okay if your world view makes so much sense why are you so much worse off than us 
so i you know mm-hmm. it is one of those kind of proof of the uh, pudding is in the eating tests uh, yeah but that also but i think more generally you know like a, you know if we talk about you know we are still colonized in our mindset of course we are in many ways but one of the key reasons i always give the example of uh, ipl and virat kohli you know ipl all players from all ethnic national racial backgrounds all of them suck up to virat kohli all of them suck up to virat kohli for the simple reason or more generally the indian cricket team and indian cricket establishment because this is where the money is so it's not like we are colonized in uh, semiconductor manufacturing and decolonized in cricket no the difference is where are we dominant where you are dominant you automatically look because if a cricket india is the metropole you know metropole is the sense of a center of any kind of empire or institution but for academic writing uh the american east coast remains the metropole so which is why you know even for discussing hinduism we have to end up often quoting people who've written books for harvard university press or occasionally in oxford and cambridge university press sure so it is very important just to add to your question that person's question that we do not have to obsess with this a lot of this will happen organically but i think if we do also occasionally focus some of us prioritize this that we understand the world's cultures we document it we revive the traditions we write books about it we help those who are writing books about it from their own cultures uh why will a black african american who is saying black lives matter will also not say black faiths matter you know malcolm yeah, that, x that's very important yeah like a malcolm x um, or a muhammad ali basically chose islam or one version nation of islam basically as a middle finger to white christian america right because mm-hmm. that mean that concept was available on the shelf for them to say if i do not want to be a christian what is my alternative this is the ready made alternative i will change my name from cassius clay to muhammad ali and this is how i will show i am different and i am calling out your hypocrisy of your inequality and you trying to use me as a puppet or a you know some kind of glamour boy exactly Fine. but but what if their ideas were ready where there was some form of new african new african indigenous worship forms institutionalized but still autonomous decentralized was available then some future cassius clay will choose that's even better right because that's not even arab that's not even european that's african so yeah. why can't so this is what i think is india's duty to be in the to be uh, careful to be humble to learn and to facilitate and not try to make people in our image but in their own image that's how i think about uh, dharmadwar all right so uh, harsh before we wrap things up i want you to tell everyone so finally you have started <laughs> your youtube channel so just briefly so what what yes, can people uh, look forward to there uh thank you so much uh, kushal i have just started a channel called long india uh, which is basically where i share uh my other big interest uh which is on economics and finance i'm very 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 bullish on india uh, you can guess that that actually kind of plays into this what we've discussed i try to have an integrated world view uh but that channel focuses only on economics and finance the first video i did there was um why india is likely to be the world's largest economy by 2047 um and uh, you know i'm just finishing and wrapping a few things i've only done one video but i plan to do more regular videos there 
uh, and I'm very happy to see the comments under this video for what kind of topics you would like to be discussed uh, on that channel as well as on my Twitter handle at the rate Harsh Madhusudan. Awesome. All right, guys, we'll wrap today's discussion up. But before we wrap it up again, uh, in the description of the podcast, I've left the link to uh, Harsh's essay, which is titled The Dawn of uh, Dharmatva, which is on Substack. So first of all, go and subscribe to his Substack. Also, when you go on YouTube, just look out for the channel Long India and go and subscribe to that channel too. Uh, it's very important to support good content creators. So I'm First of all, I'm very happy because uh, just like I trolled uh, Abhinav incessantly to start his YouTube channel, Harsh was another one that I was trolling incessantly to start his YouTube channel. So I'm very happy that Harsh has also started. So please go and subscribe in large numbers to both Harsh's and Abhinav's channel if you have not already done. So on that note, we led today's chat. So Harsh, as always, pleasure talking to you. And Thank you so much, Kushal. For coming. All right, guys, we'll wrap today's discussion up. If you like what I do in this podcast, please subscribe to the channel. Also, go and subscribe to all the audio versions. Like the video. Leave a comment over there. Also, support the Charvak podcast either by becoming a member on YouTube or go and subscribe on Patreon. I think most of you should go and subscribe on Patreon. Already, majority of you do. Or buy the Charvak podcast merch or send your donations to UPI. I'll see you this Wednesday with another monologue this time. Until then, namaste, take care, goodbye.